This podcast contains real talk about the mayhem of motherhood, along with a weekly medical mystery. Because all of these topics can be pretty graphic, and because we use explicit language, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Motherhood, Mayhem, and Medical Mysteries podcast. On this show, we are not attempting to solve the major medical mysteries of the world or tell you how to raise your kids. We are definitely not doctors or scientists of any kind. We are just two moms here to provide you with support, resources, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We do a lot of research and will definitely share the things we learn, but please talk to a professional if you have specific concerns about your experiences. Here's Melanie. She makes the best margaritas. I call them Melaritas. And here's Miranda. She drove a white Subaru Outback until it had a million miles on it. One of our Mayhem Mamas actually emailed me this week and was super curious as to what precipitated Busta Rhymes, of all people, yelling at you. Our listeners may recall that uh, we we always share these quirky intros for each other, which is fun and a total surprise. We never know what the other one's right. going to say. And then we're literally trying to stifle our laughter because we always get each other with the craziest stuff. But um, you definitely did get yelled at by Buster Rhymes. And, you know, it's a good story. So I'm glad I'm glad this mayhem mama reached out and said, what happened there? Because it's a good one. It's a good one. So listeners, you're in for a treat. I'm trying. I wish I had more like, you know how your brains turn to mush after you have children and you can't remember specifics anymore. What? No, that doesn't happen. I, I think true. it does, what? but um, what is that phenomenon? It was years ago. So, listeners, when I was in college, I worked several different jobs, but the lo- most long-term one I worked was at a resort. You know, I live in a touristy area, so it was a big oceanfront resort with all of the food and beverage outlets. We had room service, we had bars, we had uh, restaurants, all the things. And I worked in the food and beverage department. I, I mostly waited tables in the evening, but it wasn't past me to hostess or bartend or whatever the case may be. Well, I was working just a regular night. This would have been, that very much ages me, but this would have been in the very early 2000s. And at that point in time, we have a local music venue and they were getting all of the like really good bands from like the late 90s were playing mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and they all yeah. stayed at our hotel there must have been some sort of agreement between the venue and the hotel um, but they all stayed and i i really like because you had you had third eye blind we had counting crows the goo goo that's the what i'm goo thinking goo of. dolls one of my favorites the band live oh, third eye blind there and and which is my favorite band. <laughs> there were a bunch of rap acts as well like snoop dogg stayed there several times mm-hmm. that i can remember the roots love it and obviously busta rhymes so <laughs> here's the story we were all really good friends in the food and beverage department especially those of us that worked nights because there was a fairly small crew of us and most of us were in college together and lived in like the same neighborhood so we knew each other at work and outside of work and we would kind of cover for each other and maybe disappear for a little bit i'm sure you've had jobs like that where you have a oh yeah you have like a good work friend and who's like an alien yeah Yeah, well like everybody um Everybody in those days was still smoking cigarettes. So my buddy was working in room service and he wanted to go smoke a cigarette, which, of course, 
you had to leave. I think you had to go outside to smoke a cigarette. That was a new rule at the time. We used to smoke in the back of the restaurant. This is how long ago this was. Oh, wow. Remember when people wow. used to smoke in restaurants? Oh my gosh, smoking or not, yeah. I'll never yeah. forget. And even at airplanes. The, at the buffet I remember my mama. Yeah. as a child, my grandparents sitting in the smoking section on the airplane See, and I'm sorry. How do you how do you differentiate that on an airplane? I'm sorry. If one person is smoking on an airplane, the whole damn airplane is a smoking section. A thousand, Just, that's my a thousand percent. That's my aside. Well, no, I completely agree with you. I remember being a very small child and having because when we flew on the same flights with my grandparents, we were always going all the way out to the west coast from Ohio. So these were long flights, right? And I remember right. having to go to the bathroom and my mom walking me back and it was like there's one aisle and then the next aisle is smoking <laughs> but there's no barrier and i mean yeah i mean everybody's smoking it's all and smoke. mom's like guarding me from because these people are flat out got cigarettes in their hands like out <laughs> into the aisle you know anyway oh times were crazy <laughs> we've come a long ways but back back to my story <laughs> So my buddy who was working room service that night was outside smoking a cigarette because they had recently made a rule that you could no longer smoke in the back of the dining room. People were mad. Anyway. People were very mad, I'm so sure. So he was outside smoking a cigarette and I was like, yeah, I'll answer the phone for room service. It was pretty late, you know, so we mm -hmm. didn't usually mm -hmm. get a whole lot of calls pretty late. <laughs> the phone rings. And on the system we had, you could tell like what room number it was, if I remember right. Yeah. And yeah. all of these bands like all check in under Bizarro names. So you don't know. Which I love. I love that if, fact. If yeah. I recall this correctly, and if they're listening, Third Eye Blind, you can reach out to us and let us know. But I seem to Please. remember that they always checked in under names of cereal. Like they were Count Chocula and Captain Crunch. And, I love that so much. And, Steven Jenkins, <laughs> oh, you're just a genius. But, you're a genius after my own well, heart. <laughs> so anyway, the, the room rings and I, I was not paying attention. Like normally room service knew where these like celebrity people or like VIPs were staying. They knew what room they were oh, in. Oh, sure. But yeah, because they're likely to get room service. Right. And they need to know. Right. But I'm be. just answering the phone like a cold You're call. just covering. I'm cold yeah. call. Yeah. You know. You're literally a warm body next to the phone. Room service. Can I help you? You know, whatever. And he wanted bottled water, like fancy bottled water, which is super common these days, right? And and I mean, even back oh, yeah. in those days, if you were traveling internationally or in big cities, there would be the big bottles of Pellegrino and they would have still and what is it? Not Sure. Not still, still and not still. I don't remember what they called it. Yeah. I That's know. what... Distilled, purified... Well, no, the awesome. kind with bubbles. What's the bubbly? Oh, carbonated. It's carbonated or mineral water. They would have still and then they would have mineral, whatever. If you sure. were in fancy places or anywhere in Europe, but at that time in this area... Right. No, we didn't have any of that. You're not. <laughs> we had, you know, Deer Park water bottles... Oh, man. Yeah, that's not up to par. Okay, so what <laughs> Busta wants is sparkling, or no, still bottled water in a pitcher with a bunch of ice. Okay, easy enough ask. Like, easy enough ask, but I, I feel but like. I gathered that what he was wanting us to send up was like a pitcher of ice and a big bottle of still fancy bottled water. So okay, I'm sure. explaining to him, oh, I'm really sorry, sir. We only have just like the individual size bottled waters, but I'd be happy to send a pitcher of ice and however many of those you would like to have. And he was like, what are okay. you talking about? Blah, 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 blah. Like went on this whole like and my eyes got all big and I was like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> but I mean, literally, we didn't have it. If the hotel doesn't have it, like what, what am I supposed to do? So I'm like trying to be kind and apologize, but he was definitely coming at me with some energy that you should not <laughs> come at wait staff with ever, even if your bus arrives. <laughs> and so I'm over here. I And finally, I get him to agree. I can't remember 
he said some really choice words to me, which apparently oh, I have no. like actually blocked out. And oh, wow. we agreed to a number of bottles that I would send up <laughs> and a pitcher of ice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, my friend, I'm looking for him. I'm like, dude, this is on you. Like, I am not going up there. Like, I, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing this. Right. And- so yeah. he comes back and he goes, oh, my God, what room number? And I told him and I was like, this man was really rude to me. He yelled at me. He's like, Mel, that was Busta Rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> so you never know. You oh never know what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I guess technically speaking, we don't know if it was Busta or one of his people. Like they usually, there's not ever like one person in a room when those groups sure. are coming through. He has an entourage. Right. So sure. I don't know yeah. who it was that yelled at me, but they were not taking very kindly to my explanation that we just did not have fancy <laughs> bottled water. And I, oh to this gosh. day, remember because like I said, we're in a resort area. So most of the people that are coming here are coming to like go to the beach. So everything at that particular hotel at that time was super cash. Like we were not fancy pants at all. Like the fine dining restaurant, (laughs) which I've taken you to eat there at night was the fanciest thing that that whole hotel had going on in that time period. Sure. And our room service menu was very low key. So, you know, it's like, sir, you just called a place that offers chicken fingers, fries, and cheeseburgers, and you want a bottle (laughs) of Perrier still with a pitcher of ice. I still remember washing the pitcher. We never sent pitchers up to the room. Like I had to go way back into the back where Rodrigo (laughs) kept the extra dishes and find a pitcher to wash to put ice in. Oh my gosh. So yeah, but my friend took it up and he said everything was fine. So I don't know, but that is how I got yelled at by who I think was Busta Rhymes. Okay, Miranda, what are you going to teach us about when it comes to parenting today? I want to talk about another topic that cripples most of us as parents. Okay. And that is dealing with kids who are picky. Oh, oh, yeah. Please help us. I have one of those here. I was going to ask, I was going to ask, like, what is, is Jonah, like, particularly picky? Has it changed? Mm. Has he always been picky? Like, tell me about, about him. He has always been picky. And his mother has just let him be in charge because Mm -hmm. I am not up for the fight. He he has like approximately maybe like 10 to 12 foods that he eats and we just go around with those. So what have we got? What's in the 10 to 12? Um, He loves pasta, like just plain Mm -hmm. pasta, mozzarella Mm -hmm. cheese. He loves carrots. He does chicken tenders, chicken fingers, chicken fries. Okay. Okay. Uh, Lots of chicken going on. He's okay with all of those. Uh, Cereals. There's a bunch of different cereals. I just kind of counted that as one category. He'll eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And like then pretty much other than that, it's a lot of like junk food. He loves ice cream. He loves chips. You know, there mm-hmm. used to be fruits, but he has this like ever changing list and he'll like take stuff off. Yeah. Yeah. Fish are similar with the fruits. It's like one one day he's all about this and the next day he's not. And we were at the grocery store the other day and he begged me for pineapple juice. And I'm like, that's so random, but OK. And he's been like drinking it down at dinner time every night really? this week, which is so it's weird. Harsh I know. It's like juice come from oh he's there for it i cut it with water okay but good. he's he's into it yeah he's like he goes ah, this is so refreshing wow okay <laughs> um yeah. i i guess i would say that like i put up more of a fight on like the front end when he was younger as far as like trying yeah. to keep his diet very balanced and all of that and now i'm just yeah. kind of like whatever like yeah you can have pasta and cheese for dinner as long as you eat some carrots too and 
Nice. Then I move on. Nice. Well, you'll be relieved to hear a lot of the research that I found is not disagreeing with anything that you're doing. Okay, good. So, good. So we're good. We're we're right on track. Because it's the same thing at my house. It is the same thing at my house. And I'll say, when Fisher was a baby, he was not picky at all. He would eat whatever. He loved sauteed mushrooms, which was really odd. That is a very odd would, thing. But okay. He would, he would gobble them down. It was really odd. But then it was like once he started preschool and once like the snack foods got mm-hmm. introduced, it was just like game over. Yeah. You know, it's goldfish and the puffs and the Kool-Aid and the chocolate milk from here on. Oh, out. yogurt is another yeah. one that Jonah eats. I figure that has some health oh, yeah. benefits to it somewhere. Oh, yeah. Lots of protein. <laughs> yeah. Probiotics. You taught right, us about right. probies. Yeah. With picky eating, it's important to know that, first of all, it's super, super normal, especially in young kids. I found some statistics that said 20% of parents identify their kids as picky eaters. So that's one out of five. I feel like there's another percentage in there that's lying. (laughs) Sure. It seems like maybe there should be some more there, but that was was one, uh, one source. So the question then is, why are these kids so picky that's your question that is my question right? uh, well Why i mean so i've picky? always kind of felt like he's picky because i was super picky you are still kind of picky. i am a little bit i mean we can't yeah. all be human dumpsters like i'm i'm a human dumpster <laughs> for the record i tell people like anytime i'm going out to eat with people and they're like oh well do you have any preferences i'm like i'm a garbage disposal i will literally eat whatever <laughs> on the table in front of me. I'm not picky at all. That's great. So and I'm I'm thankful because my husband's not either. So he literally will will eat whatever I feed him, which is great. But yeah, Fisher, on the other hand, we have to have like a whole separate menu for if we want to just have peace. And for me, peace is more important. So there's lots of reasons that kids are pickier eaters and more particular about their foods. And one thing that is predominantly a factor there is that because kids are growing so quickly, they prefer foods that are sweet. They're hardwired to like foods, simple sugars, carbs, anything that's higher calorie, lots of sugary, lots of fatty foods. Of course, they're going to love that because they're growing so much. And so biologically, they're dependent on getting those calories and getting those sources of food for their own growth. Well, that's interesting. So it's not just that they're like that my kid is like a sugar head. It's just how they are wired. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, on the other side, of the the spectrum there. Some kids don't want to eat at all. And that can be really alarming, especially if your kid like used to eat a whole lot and now all of a sudden they're not eating and it's like they don't have that appetite at all. Have you have you experienced that before? Not really, like except for a couple times that like he was sick. So that would be like immediately what I would think is, you know, yeah, signal something's wrong. (laughs) Fisher's gone through some little seasons where like for a week or two out of a a time, he just wouldn't have an appetite. And I'd be kind of freaking out, not really freaking out, but like my radar's up about that. Like what's going on? Yeah. And apparently, you know, it's normal for your child's growth to slow down and kind of wane at certain points. And one of the biggest things that we face and kind of we shoot ourselves in the foot is kids will fill up on snacks. And then so when it's mealtime, they're not hungry. So when we're looking for those signals like, oh, you didn't eat your supper. Oh, you didn't eat your lunch. Or like they, you get the lunchbox home from school and it's like still full and you're like, huh, did you eat anything? It's like, yeah, but I ate my snack and that was enough to kind of keep me going because I just didn't have as much of an appetite. Totally normal. Okay. Nothing to really be concerned about okay. for, for a short period of time at least. And then you kind of mentioned this one. Another reason that kids can be picky eaters, especially when they're toddlers is actually due to their stage of development. And it's kind of a 
control thing. Oh, they like they want to be in charge and they're not eating because you're telling them to do it kind of thing. Exactly. (laughs) They want to defy you. And and they're really just learning so much about their body and how their body is, you know, moving in space, taking up space, how they're eating, how they're eliminating like potty trainings involved with that. They're getting in control of their own self. And so it's no surprise when you think about that, that part of that control is having some, you know, choice over what food that they want to eat. A lot of times that exercise of control over their body turns into a power struggle between us. Yeah, because they want to see if they can test those boundaries and test those limits with us. And then it becomes a game. Gotcha. Yeah, it's not even about the food anymore. It's just about that. That makes sense. Wow. For sure. They are dangerous little creatures, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they really are. We did not. We didn't sign up for all of this. Woo. Jeez, Louise. Okay, and lastly, and I don't know if this is one you want to speak on at all, but some kids can have legitimate allergies or underlying medical problems, and this is where we have to be really concerned and have that radar up. You know, if we're noticing problems with them reacting to certain types of food, um, of course, if your child has any problems like swallowing or if they're right. gagging or choking on their food. And hopefully we would notice those things early on. Another thing that can be kind of telling is like a severe texture aversion. And one of the the things that I found is if they're eating less than five things, then we may want to have a conversation with the pediatrician. It calls to mind my, my niece, So she, for a while, was right on that line of being failure to thrive. She was so, so tiny, not even on the growth chart. It was just so small for her size and her her weight and everything. And the only thing that my sister-in-law could get her to eat was yogurt. That was the only oh, thing yeah. that she would eat. I remember. This has yep. been a few years ago. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a while because she's like a preteen now and she's doing great. But when she was a baby, there was no lie, like a couple of months where all she would eat breakfast, yogurt. lunch, and dinner was yogurt. And the pediatrician was like, give it to her, like fatten yeah. her up, whatever she will eat, you know, have her eat it. I- it was just crazy. I'm glad to hear that. The only thing that I will say I have been I've been lucky enough to have a child that hasn't had any significant allergies and and I don't think that anything that he doesn't want is driven by an allergy type situation. But I can Yeah, or like a severe aversion. Yeah, I can remember as a child my mom and I think that I probably had about the same amount of foods that I would eat as to what Jonah eats. Mm-hmm. And I was probably 10 or 11 when mom adopted the policy of there's two choices for dinner, take it or leave it. Like that was it. Like mm-hmm. you eat it or you don't eat it and then too bad. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. she always made me drink this little glass of milk. It was like a juice, <laughs> like a juice glass size of milk. Okay. Uh-huh. And in her defense, I think she was trying to get calories in me. Like I was a very skinny child. Well, I mean, you're still skinny as a beanpole. So well, yeah. she was trying to get enough calories in me because I was picky about what mm-hmm. I ate, like that kind of thing. And I can remember mm-hmm dreading that little glass of milk so much and it made my Mm. stomach hurt every time I drank it. Wow. Now, it's hard to know whether that was in my head or not, but I would Mm -hmm. venture to say I have some like mild level of like a lactose kind of issue. But to this day, if you see me drinking milk, there's an emergency. <laughs> That's a problem. I won't I won't do it. Like I well and I should say that despite my comments earlier about the leftover milk from the cereal bowl, which I would down happily as a child, as an adult, like the the thought of a glass of milk, just like you, it's pretty repulsive to me. Like I'm not into that at all. But the craziest thing is that when I was pregnant, Mel's like choking on her wine. I can't wine even drink it. Did you it? see it? I picked it up to take a drink and I sat it back down. Like <laughs> She's just like, nope. It nope, suddenly nope. looked like milk to me. I can't. 
I have to say, and you know this, for whatever reason, in the last few weeks of my pregnancy, I was obsessed with milk to the point that I would be sitting on my couch with a gallon of milk beside of me and I was drinking it from the jug because it was like the only thing. I wanted. It's so crazy. And I hate milk. I haven't drank it since since then. You talking about it makes me feel sick. (laughs) And like, I honestly cannot even I I can't watch someone drink milk. I'm trying to remember we were somewhere. I think it was when we were with our family not that long ago. Somebody ordered a glass of milk at a restaurant and I was like, no, no. Oh, oh, that's disgusting. Oh, you're no. gonna restaurant just let them bring like, it to you in that oh, like restaurant so glass like that like Ew. it wasn't a fancy restaurant it Ew. was one of those plastic yeah, no. glasses like just- oh yeah it's like a soda glass with coca-cola on the side yeah no oh gross i'm so restaurant milk is way off the list oh. Ew. anyway oh, okay sorry well i'm glad i'm glad we're talking about this though because there is a lot of psychology clearly <laughs> <with eating. laughs> And we we need to kind of be aware of that. There are some instances where food and relationship with food can have a bearing on your psychological health uh, when it comes to your your kids. And there was one study I looked at. Um, it actually was was in Harvard, but it talked about that kiddos with selective eating can actually have other issues going on, like anxiety, depression, and even ADHD. Okay, so there's definitely a relationship, and these things can kind of clue us into one another. And one thing that I 100% want to mention is if you have a child and you suspect they have disordered eating or some issues with that, please talk to your child's doctor. If you notice any kind of odd behaviors, unusual behaviors, even little, little tiny things to look for, like if they take a napkin and cover up part of their food on their plate, um, there's all kinds of things that can be a signal for uh, disordered eating uh, and may indicate a larger, larger, more concerning psychological problem. What kind of issue would that point out? Like what, do you have an example? What are they covering it? What, what's happening? So this is just my speculation because it gave like a list of different things to look for. But if your kid, I guess, puts a a napkin over their food, like they don't want to see it. Number one, it could be like an aversion, like they just are disgusted by that food. Or it could be that they're trying to mentally imagine that that food's not there so that they won't be hungry for it and overeat and they're suppressing their own appetite. I mean, it's like an appetite suppression. I grew up in the 80s and in that era, we just tried to hide it in a plant. Sure. Okay. Yep. Same idea. Yep. If they're yep spitting it out in a napkin, make it um, disappear off the plate, putting it in a plate. Right. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yep. All of these kinds of things. If they're curiously going to the bathroom and turning on the water after yeah, mealtime, uh-huh. there's lots of signals. And of course, like you can do research on that. Um, those tend to be more common in older children mm-hmm. and certainly, unfortunately, in girls. So just be aware of that. And the thing to really look for is where your child is on their growth curve. Okay. And it's not necessarily to be worried, like if your child is on the 10 percentile or on the 20 percentile, you know, that's not really a cause to panic so long as that's where they've always been and that's their pattern. Right. Well, and the there's problem still... is if they start falling off. Right. I was just going to say at 10 or 20 percent, they're still on the chart. What you're worried Correct. about is if they like drop off completely. Right. Or if they fall off their own curve. So okay. like if they've always kind of historically been between say 60 and 80% and all of a sudden they're at like 30, 40, hmm, let's look into okay. that and see what's that going on. Sense. So what does their curve look like? What's normal for them? And are we noticing any patterns or problems with that? So just wanted to mention that. But again, psychologically speaking, there's a lot going on with food. We talked about control. And one of the things that really surprised me in doing this research is it can actually be super counterproductive to battle with your kids about what they're eating. And it can actually negatively impact your child's relationship with food, which can, you know, in some cases cause disordered eating 
later in life. That's not to say that happens every time, but it's certainly a possibility. So again, the only time to really be concerned is if your child, number one, has like a serious nutrient deficiency, and that should show up in other ways, medically speaking, uh, if they're falling off their curve, or if you suspect some kind of psychological problem with their relationship with food. So the first thing, you know, when we're talking about nutrients and making sure our kids get all the the healthy things that they need, that's where it can be really helpful to make sure your kid is getting some good vitamins, some good supplements. One of the things we do is Fisher gets his smoothie every morning. You know, Brad puts that thing together. He does a great job hiding the spinach in there so Fisher can't taste it. And for me, that's like comfort to know that like, hey, at least he got, you know, the servings of fruits and vegetables that he needs for the day, even if all he eats for the rest of the day is like grilled cheese and goldfish, (laughs) which sometimes is the case, right? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I want us to kind of think about the ways that we interact with our kids around food when they're picky eaters. We need to be really careful about the incentives that we're using to help kids eat healthy. So have you ever done the like thing where you say, hey, if you eat this vegetable or if you eat this, then you can have like a dessert thing? Okay, I'm going to come clean. No, I haven't. I haven't done that. But I have a degree in counseling. And in my life, I have known many people who have multiple different kinds of eating disorders. So I have always Mm -hmm. been very careful to not I'm trying to and maybe I'm not doing it well. But my goal has always been to eliminate any like weird things. So like the only thing Mm -hmm. that I've ever said is you can have a dessert, but after you eat dinner, Like, I don't make Mm -hmm. it specific Mm -hmm. to you have to eat something you don't want or whatever, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah. (laughs) And and I have to confess, like, I've done this move. I've definitely done this move. Like, hey, if you eat four green beans, Mm -hmm. you can have some M&Ms. I've done that. And (laughs) what I found is a lot of pediatricians and child psychologists agree that this is a terrible approach okay because we're reinforcing that the dessert is what's valuable and then we're making the vegetable or the healthy food a chore or an obstacle and not something that should be desirable or good for you so it actually reinforces their negative opinion of the food they already don't like interesting kind of interesting kind of blew my mind okay wow definitely something to keep in mind Mm -hmm. yeah because that's a really easy trap to fall into when you're staring at your kid's plate and they haven't touched their corn or their peas or whatever veggie you put on there and you know that you can motivate them with another food. Not a great thing to do. Another problem, and this is actually a good one for parents of of younger kids, try to use a better, more expanded vocabulary when it comes to food. So we tend to kind of box ourselves in because we use words like, oh, that's so yummy, or "Mm, that's so good, or oh, that's yucky, you didn't like that, or oh, that's that's bad, right? Yeah. And we put these like value judgments on the food and we say, oh, it's yummy or, ooh, that was yucky, you know, whatever. And so it's actually better to describe food with neutral words and try to actually introduce a vocabulary about appreciating a spectrum of flavors, textures, what's going on with it. So is it sweet? Is it savory? Does it feel soft in your mouth? Does it feel chewy in your mouth? Does it have uh, this kind of flavor or that kind of flavor? So thinking about that and employing that method can be really good for younger kids because it removes the value judgment and then it kind of expands their awareness plus their language skills. Right. Well, and it's also like kind of pushing them to make their own opinion because you're not inserting yours. Yeah. Right. And and maybe like don't even don't even let them 
I don't want to say don't let them have an opinion, but just be mindful of that opinion right. and try to not value, you know, oh, this is good or I do like this or I don't like that. Try to just leave that off the table mm-hmm. and focus on just the food itself from kind of a, a neutral standpoint. So that was kind of interesting to think about too. Okay. So I want to just close up with some tips um, and some other things to do. So just some kind of some takeaways for our mayhem mamas out there. First thing that I found is to set realistic expectations. Don't expect that your child's going to all of a sudden like every food overnight after you start working on this. It's going to take some time. And some studies have found that it takes about 12 different exposures to a certain type of food before your child kind of latches onto it and may even uh, enjoy eating it. Wow. 12. Yeah. 12. You gotta. But the thing about 12 is it, it could be, and that doesn't even be that they have to eat it. It's just maybe it's on their plate. Maybe they see it. Maybe they see you cooking it. Maybe you're talking about Interesting. it. Interesting. Okay. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's like 12 times that you have to make or be around Brussels sprouts. I. <laughs> Uh, which I still love my uh, Brussels sprouts. Ugh. You don't I like mean, Brussels sprouts. You don't like broccoli. My favorite color is green. Jonah pointed this out to me the other day. My favorite color is green, and I like all things that are green except vegetables. Except green vegetables. <laughs> and green vegetables are my favorite vegetables. I, I love veggies in general, though. I'm weird. Well, no, they're good <laughs> for you. That's a good thing. I was like, well, I eat... <laughs> Lettuce. (laughs) (laughs) I eat seaweed and lettuce. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. Okay, number two is change up the menu. So don't put the same healthy foods in front of your kids over and over, but try to mix it up and introduce them to a a wide variety because they may like something that surprises you, like pineapple juice. I'm guilty on this one because I get really lazy with sweet potato nuggets. Mm -hmm. You know, I get those frozen sweet potato nuggets or sweet potato fries, and I'm like, it's a vegetable. It counts, right? (laughs) It counts. Or I'll do it with corn. I'll get one of those bags of corn, like the super sweet corn that you can pop Uh in the microwave and then just keep that in a Tupperware all week and let Fisher kind of eat on it a little bit. So I need to do a better job of like rotating what's in front of him and get up to 12 exposures, I I guess, if I want to go with that study. Jeez. Okay. And this kind of goes back to what you said about your mom. And I think this is going to be really dependent on how old your kid is. Don't make separate meals for your child. Give your kid a choice. Okay, like your mom did, like this or this. And then they can have an approved meal replacement if they don't want that, but they have to get it on their own. And then that could be like, oh, well, I don't want to make my food anymore. So I'll just eat what you feed Right. Well, (laughs) kind of playing into their laziness. Or if you were in this house, then Jonah would just be eating a giant bowl of cereal, Mm. which they put vitamins and stuff in there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's loaded with vitamins. And sugar. (laughs) It's made out of veggies. All right. Give kids lots of options. So again, try to not box them in or stick with a limited selection of things, but try to put a lot of different things in front of them. Give them options. Get them involved any way you can. Separate behaviors from picky eating. So again, think about what's actually related to their food and what's more of like a psychological issue. Because if it's just food, that's not a big deal. If there's something we suspect psychologically going on or it's a control thing or it's a battle or it's a power struggle, we need to do something about that. That's when we need to get involved. But if it's just your kid doesn't want to eat this or that, eh, they're they're fine. Gotcha. (laughs) So long as all these other things are being met. Seven kind of goes along with that. Establish healthy habits around sweets and treats. So I talk to Fisher a lot about balance and just, you know, hey, it's all about balance. We can definitely 100% have some sweet things, but we also definitely need to eat some healthy things. And we just want to make sure we're getting a little bit of everything because that's really good for us. And again, try to keep those things neutral um, so that one's not better than the other 
whatever. And then the last one is just to try to relax and have fun at mealtimes and not like be a a source of anxiety or stress yourself. Of course, your child can pick up on that and sense that if you sit down and you're upset or disgruntled that they're a picky eater, okay, well, then they're just going to meet you with even more resistance. Right. um, For sure. As opposed to just being able to sit back and and chill and enjoy the time together. I would say if your choice is like you being all stressed out or them eating the one thing that they want to eat just let them eat the one thing just let them let eat it the be. one thing it 100 <laughs> <laughs> all right well that is some really that's some good information and i i think that we all could use some help in a lot of different time periods with our kids <laughs> so hopefully that's helpful to y'all what medical mystery are you, no pun intended, serving up for us tonight, Melanie? I am going to try to help us all understand what in the world the pancreas does. Thank God. I could not get any sleep last night because I was tossing and turning and sweating bullets. And I was just asking myself, what the hell does my pancreas even do because i don't know i mean i know that you're saying that all in jest but honestly do you (laughs) know what the pancreas does it has something to do with your blood sugar that's literally all i know and insulin insulin is the pancreas i think okay all right well (laughs) i have a lot to learn teach me teach me educated So the pancreas is an organ, which is essentially a collection of glands. We'll get to it. It's it's located in your abdomen, and it has two key functions. Blood sugar regulation, good job, Miranda, and digestion. So, Oh, digestion. Okay, so wait for it. Okay. Hmm. Now, as far as location within your body, the pancreas sits behind your stomach and in front of your spine, and it is surrounded by your gallbladder, liver, and spleen. So I was trying really hard to find us something so we could all envision what our pancreas looks like, you know, while we're listening to this. Yeah, yeah. And I spent way too much time Googling the pancreas is shaped like dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Here are the things that came up. Okay. A banana, a leaf, or a flat pear. Now, <laughs> who flattens a pear? I'm so that. And how does a flattened pear look anything like a banana? And what kind of leaf are we talking about? Because leaves come in such a wide variety okay. of shapes and sizes and colors. Those were exactly all of my <laughs> thoughts. So I oh, have wow. like, in my notes, there's like 10 question marks because I'm like, that did not help me at all. So anyway, (laughs) it is about six inches long, so approximately the length of most people's hands, and it has a wider end, and then it gets narrow. So, I mean, if it's a banana, Hmm. it's like a banana that one end was smushed. So Yeah, that doesn't seem right. The Google people disappointed me. The pear, the pear thing sounds the best to me now that you say it like that. Maybe it's the pear is the way to go. But also, I just want to add that I love how we always Google these things on our shared uh, Google account. Yeah, we do. If, if anybody ever looked up the history of our <laughs> searches on this podcast, they are in for a wild No ride. doubt. Um, <laughs> oh okay, so here's an interesting fact. The pancreas is part of both the exocrine and the endocrine systems. So I didn't even know there was an exocrine. Okay, I don't well, even know what that hold is. on. I'm going to teach you a little bit about it. All of the members of the exocrine system, they create something and it all flows through mm-hmm. ducts. Here's examples. Okay. The tear glands, the mammary glands, mucous membranes, salivary glands, sebaceous glands, sweat glands, and the prostate. So they're like little secretor kind of things. They're just like secreting, secreting They secrete stuff. things and those things leave them through ducts. D-U-C-T-S. Ducts. 
Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. You, you with me now? I'm sort of. Okay. Yeah. Although it's very troubling to think that the the tear glands and the prostate are on the same on the same system there. But okay. All part, I hope that doesn't get turned around. All part of the exocrine system. So exocrine, so, exocrine like excrete. Correct. I've got, I've got it, it all makes sense now. There is an exocrine gland that runs the entire length of the smushed pear pancreas. It produces oh. enzymes that break down food and help in digestion. So these are very, oh. very important enzymes for our continued yeah. existence as humans. So the you said the salivary glands was part of that. And is that where some of the enzymes are like in your saliva when you're like well, I was just Chewing. I was just listening to you members of the exocrine system so you could know what play what team we're on here. Those those are oh, other okay. members Good of team. the exocrine system. We're specifically talking okay. about the pancreas, but it's in two systems. So I just wanted you to know what teams it was playing on. So you would say that it it uh it plays for It both does teams. play for both teams. The pancreas does. It plays for the exocrine um, and the endocrine systems. So That's awesome. There are three Represent. There are three main enzymes that the pancreas creates that help with digestion. The first one is lipase. Now, lipase works very closely with bile, which bile is produced in the liver. And that is what breaks down all of the fats that we consume. So you need lipase to work along with bile to break down fats. There's another one that's called amylase. And that breaks down carbohydrates and helps turn them into energy. So I really need that one because I love carbohydrates. So I like <laughs> I hope that my pancreas is creating the appropriate amounts of amylase. And then the third one is protease. And fittingly, it helps to break down proteins. Okay. So how okay. this whole thing works, your pancreas releases all of these enzymes into ducts, which is why it's part of the exocrine system. Those flow down other ducts that connect to your bile duct, which is part which connects with your liver and your gallbladder. So there's a lot of systems that have to work together here to help mm -hmm. get those enzymes where they need to be so that they gotcha. can get into your small intestine or the, the duodenum and break down food. Ooh. Yeah. So that's very complex in itself, that whole system. Yeah. But that's only half of what the pancreas does. It's only one half of the pear. That's only one side of the it banana. Is. You got to turn over the other leaf. You do. So it's also, as I mentioned, part of the endocrine system. Now, before I tell you about its role within the endocrine system, I'm going to tell you some of the other players on the endocrine system team, just so we can have an idea. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. The endocrine system consists of glands that secrete hormones into your blood. So rather than them being secreted into a duct, a duct, they go into your in blood. blood. Gotcha. So there's definitely a theme here. So they're all secretors, mm -hmm. but it matters where they go. So gotcha. the endocrine, other players on the endocrine system team include the adrenal glands, the hypothalamus, the ovaries, the testes, the thyroid, the parathyroid, the pituitary, and the thiamus. So it's a wow. lot of glands. Some star players some star, there, some real some, MVPs. Yeah. So the endocrine function of the pancreas is very important, as are all of those other members of the endocrine team. Here's the big function that the endocrine as far as the pancreas, how it functions within the endocrine system. It produces hormones. Hormones. Now, I had a moment here while I was writing these notes where I was like, oh my gosh, I, Mel, never realized that insulin is a hormone. Did you know that? I actually did. You did know that? Know that? I did know that. Yeah. Maybe in some yeah. level of my brain, I knew that, but I had never really thought like, oh, insulin is a hormone. 
Well, I guess the only reason I know that is because like you see if you have pancreas issues or like diabetes, you see an endocrinologist and endocrinologists deal with hormones in your body. OK, so I guess that was guess the connection I, I that I drew. I didn't put that. Brain. I didn't make that loop the full way. The endocrine function of the pancreas produces two hormones. Those include insulin which reduces high blood sugar levels. So if your blood sugar gets too high, the insulin brings it down. And the other one is glucagon, which increases your blood sugar level if your blood sugar gets too low. So you're okay. I've never heard of glucagon before, but it sounds like it should be like a little superhero guy <laughs> with like a little cape, like glucagon. It really does. Like it's coming to the rescue. Like dun da da da. I'm coming with the sugar. So weird, row, <laughs> right? That the pancreas does both of those. It creates the one that brings it down and the one that brings it up, and the one that makes it so, up. Yep, I'm telling you. What, and we'll get into two this sides of the same smushed. Pear. We'll get into this in in a future episode because I. Definitely, I'm going to do like a deep dive into diabetes, but your body really needs balanced blood sugar to make sure that all of your organs and systems are working as they should. It particularly impacts your kidneys, your liver, and your brain, as well as your circulatory system and your heart. So those balanced levels of blood sugar are critical for us to function as we should. Wild, wild stuff. It's crazy to think that just one little substance can turn so many things on a different direction. It's it's bizarre. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. anyway, to pair with that, to pair with that, <laughs> um, there are several disorders that can affect our pancreas. The first one is type 1 diabetes. Type 1 occurs when your pancreas doesn't produce insulin at all. So again, Hmm. we'll get to this in a deeper dive that I'm going to do later. But typically, type 1 diabetes shows up at a much younger age. So it doesn't show up in adulthood. So that just means those those folks, their pancreas doesn't make insulin at all. At all. So therefore, if they're if their pancreas isn't making insulin, then their blood sugar is just way too high all of the time. Correct. And that's gonna cause all kinds of problems in all these other systems Ab- that you absolutely. mentioned. Absolutely. Now, type two diabetes occurs when your body makes insulin, but it's not using it right. Like it still knows how to create it, but it's not it's mm-hmm. not using it like it should. So something isn't working mm-hmm. like it should. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you'll see type 2 diabetes show up later in life. And uh, oftentimes, and I'm generalizing here because it's not always, and oftentimes in people who have a lot of extra weight on them. Right. That's a right. lot. Uh, in a many cases, that's when type 2 diabetes will show up. I have even known patients in my career who have lost a good bit of weight and have no longer technically been called a type 2 diabetic. Like, it, right. Sometimes that ha- there's some wiggle room in there. Yeah, because it's kind of like they're, it's, it's just a matter of everything, I guess, kind of being imbalanced. Right. So right. it seems and to they be. And have to monitor very closely and, uh, you know, take extra insulin. I will do a deep dive. Well, definitely will. I'm not the one to provide that information to you right so, now. That's for sure. Some other <laughs> disorders that can affect the pancreas hyperglycemia. And that is actually when your body produces too much glucagon. So that is glucagon, and that is making your blood sugar levels way too high. That ties in with diabetes as well. But Mm -hmm. another one is hypoglycemia, and we know what that is. That's where your body produces too much insulin and your blood sugar is too low. And that does not feel good Mm. when that happens. Mm -hmm. That's like glucagon. Yeah, right. Like he he done left. (laughs) And then um, pancreatitis. That happens when the enzymes, like I I mentioned, all the enzymes that that the pancreas creates. Those enzymes actually start to work within the pancreas before they go through all of those ducts. Like they're not supposed mm-hmm. to start functioning until they reach the duodenum. 
but they sure till they get where they're supposed to right. go but they start working early in the pancreas and it can actually result in gallstones and in a lot of folks oh, this is like geez. a temporary thing but sometimes it's long lasting and it has a lot of ties in with excessive alcohol use so i don't oh, wow. i don't know huh. the exact mechanism there but Pancreatitis, mm-hmm. from what I have heard from patients who have had it, is incredibly painful. Incredibly yeah. painful. And of course, wow. the big one, pancreatic cancer. And of course, we hear about that. And it's always one of those that you're like, oh, no, not pancreatic cancer. Because yeah. it can be very difficult to treat, which I'm going to talk about more here in a second. And of course, that's when cancerous cells grow within the pancreas or the areas surrounding it. Mm. Well, but pause, because I just want to recognize, because it's kind of sinking in as you're talking about this, what a delicate system this is. Like this one singular system is responsible for both. You know, it's like you said, it's on both teams. It's raising, it's lowering, it's keeping everything in check. It's literally like the fail-safe system in your body mm-hmm. for for both sides. It's like the thermostat, I guess. Well, it's, that's it's monitoring the thermostat, but all these different levels. That's only crazy. within one function of it. Like in its exocrine function, it's creating all of these very critical enzymes that we need to break down the food for that we eat. All these parts. I of mean, our it body. has. Yeah. a lot of jobs it's kind of like the unsung hero like i at, in doing yeah. all of this research i felt like oh my gosh we do not appreciate our pancreas enough we need to respect the pancreas over here people we need to respect this thing Jeez Louise. Now, so just, yeah, all of that to say this is a very temperamental organ and we want to keep it Yes. Well, before I get into some tips for keeping your pancreas healthy, I do feel like it's necessary for me to take a minute and talk about pancreatic cancer because I found Mm -hmm. some absolutely staggering statistics and I am now currently terrified, but I, I don't want you all to join me on that. Here's the good news. Pancreatic cancer is responsible for only approximately 3% of cancers in the United States. So that's a pretty low number. It's not that common. Mm -hmm. It is the 10th most common cancer in men or people who were assigned male at birth, and the eighth most common in women or those assigned female at birth. So it's not super common, But it's out there. Cases of pancreatic cancer are, however, on the rise. This is the bad news. Trends indicate that pancreatic cancer will be the second leading cause of cancer death in the United States by 2030. What? Yes. That's like that's like seven years from now. That's less than ten, that's right around the corner. I know. How's it going from three percent to the second leading cause of cancer? Deaths? Well, all I can say is Holy that it is moly. on the rise and that the trends are indicating that it's going to continue going that way. And wow. and I have a feeling that it has a lot to do with environmental factors and a lot to do with what we're consuming in our food. But I'm Mm. not going to go down that path right now. It's just I found that to be staggering because I looked at that. I was like, 2030? I'm like, wait a minute, 2030? 2030? Wait, what? 2030? Not 30, 20, 2030. Right. So here are the things (laughs) about pancreatic cancer. Most of them start in the ducts within your pancreas. A majority of those within the main duct in the pancreas, which is actually called the duct of Wiersung which I thought was a fun fact. The duct of Weirson. The duct of Weirson. Get to the duct of Weirson. <laughs> now, important oh to remember, secret, glucagon, secret glucagon is not going through the duct because the glucagon is part of the endocrine function. Oh, I'm sorry. It's going sorry. into the My blood. Bad. I just got really excited about the It sounded really guy. cool. He's so cute. Okay. Anyway, Dang the it. duct of Weirson we're sung, connects the pancreas to the common bile duct. Here is the problem with pancreatic cancer. Early stage pancreatic tumors do not show up on any imaging tests. 
There's not an mm. imaging test that can detect it. Well, and does that kind of go back to the fact that this thing is literally sandwiched between yeah. all of these other organs in your uh, body? It's like in the very middle. hundred percent. Like it is wrapped up in the middle of everything. And wow. it's, it's so, and I'm sure that that is actually why it doesn't show up on imaging. What ends up happening is most people don't even receive a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer until it has spread to other things in the area. So it's already metastasized. Mm. Also, pancreatic cancer is often very resistant to common cancer medications. And that has to do with the makeup of it, all of those endocrine and exocrine functions. It's not like Hmm. other tissues in our body. It's made up of something different. So the biggest Mm -hmm. thing that they're focusing on is research for early detection. They're trying to find new imaging methods and even genetic ways that they can determine Now, this is another fun fact. There is a higher occurrence for people having pancreatic cancer if they have the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene mutation. And if you remember, we talked about that in our breast cancer episode. Whatever that mutation Hmm. is, it has to do with an increased prevalence of pancreatic cancer as well. So the suggestion is that if you are a what's considered a first degree relative of someone who has pancreatic or had pancreatic cancer, you should look into getting genetic testing. And that means if you're a parent, a child, or a sibling of someone. The good news is they're doing a lot of research. Those particular gene mutations tend to lead to a lot of different potential issues. So just something to be aware of. Now, before you all have a panic attack and fall in it, I did want to talk about I am. I am right now. Thank you. I wanted to talk about some of the signs or symptoms that something might be wrong with your pancreas. Okay. This is not to give you ammunition, but this is to make you feel better because if you don't have several of these, you probably don't have anything to worry about. Here are the symptoms that you may be having pancreatic problems. Belly or back pain. Again, I said you need to have more than one of these. Belly or back pain? I was about to say, check. Big old check. (laughs) Belly or back pain? Blurry vision? Dark colored urine? Or super light colored greasy stools? Ew. Ew. Exhaustion without an obvious cause? Extreme thirst or frequent urination? Nausea? Vomiting? Tingling in the hands or feet? Weight loss without a change in diet or exercise? Or yellowing of the eyes? That's a lot, but like I said, if you have a couple of those and it's an ongoing thing, you probably want to see your healthcare provider to get yourself checked out. And And also if you're exhausted... It may just be because you're a parent. Correct. There's that as well. So take all of that with a grain of salt. Now, here are some tips on how we can keep our pancreas healthy. I'm going to warn y'all, some of these are not very fun, but it's... Oh, gosh. Okay. Maintain a healthy weight, including regular exercise and avoiding any like weight gain, like the yo-yoing kind of stuff. Try to avoid that. That can be very, very rough on our pancreas and can lead to gallstones and a lot of other stuff. Okay. Eat a low-fat diet. High fat intake can lead to gallstones, which can cause pancreatitis. Being overweight is definitely a risk factor for pancreatic cancer. I love a low fat diet, but I also love a high fat diet. So I think it's all about (laughs) balance here. Yeah, Yeah. Here's the least fun one. Watch your alcohol intake. Drinking alcohol can increase your risk for pancreatitis and pancreatic cancer. Quit smoking for all our smoker friends out there. This includes using tobacco, smoking cigars, or smokeless tobacco products because all of the tobacco can increase your risk for pancreatic cancer and chronic pancreatitis. Kick the tobacco habit. And then, of course, get regular checkups and see your healthcare provider if you have any multiples of the signs or if you have concerns. 
it's really like everything that we've talked about is all about balance. It's all about making sure that you don't to do too much of any one bad thing. Who knew? I literally learned I learned so much from doing this research. I did not know that the pancreas was the unsung hero of our entire bodies. I mean, it sounds like a hero I definitely don't want to piss off. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to try to uh, to do a little bit better job over here with my pancreas. I agreed. Cheese. So, Cheese, Louise. So there's that. Melanie, what is our spotlight tonight? Well, I was so shocked by those pancreatic cancer statistics that I was reading when I was doing this research. I decided that should be the focus of our spotlight. So our spotlight for this episode is the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, or PANCAN. That's kind of fun, right? <laughs> I love that. Pancan. Pancan. Yes. So Pancan's <laughs> mission is to take bold action to improve the lives of everyone impacted by pancreatic cancer by advancing scientific research, building community, sharing knowledge, and advocating for patients. PANCAN was actually the first organization dedicated to fighting pancreatic cancer in any comprehensive way. And for more than two decades, they've grown into a nationwide movement tackling the disease from all angles. They fund transformative research, everything from early detection to innovative new treatment approaches. PANCAN Patient Services provides free personal one-to-one support and can find resources for any question you have related to pancreatic cancer, like finding a specialist or a clinical trial. They work with thousands of grassroots advocates nationwide to urge Congress to increase federal research funding for pancreatic cancer, and they have been getting results, which is a very good thing. So for more information, visit their website. It is www.pancan.org. And that's P-A-N-C-A-N. Glugagon and his trusty sidekick, Pancan, coming to save the day. If you like what you hear from us, be sure to follow our show. And if you really like us, you can leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We want to be friends with you. Connect with us on social media by following at Mother Mayhem Podcast or email us directly at mothermayhempodcast at gmail.com. 